family, sacrifices financially, sacrifices often with their own health, their own comforts, many of which we take for granted, are quickly forgotten. Missionaries, I think, uh, of course, appreciate financial support. They appreciate having one less thing that they need to be overseeing or one less thing they have to deal with. But a lot of times, missionaries are forgotten. A lot of times, churches forget they have missionaries. And I think that a church who forgets they have a missionary hurts the missionary more than a church who forgets to pay their missionary. I think a lot of missionaries just want the comfort that they are remembered by the church who's supporting them. And I think that's an area our church needs to grow in. The pastoral staff every year meets in January to discuss things that need to change as we go forward for the next year. And I believe this is a topic that the pastoral staff needs to have first with each other that we can then bring to the congregation. Because I would dare say most of you don't know how many missionaries we have, let alone the names of the missionaries, regardless of the places in which they minister. We have forgotten missionaries. I think a lot of those missionaries know that. And as a church, we can do better. So this morning, as a pastor, I'm challenging you to open your heart as hard as it might be to hear what is said. It's never easy to hear that you might have failed in an area. Never easy to hear that you might have overseen something that is important to God. As hard as that might be, I'm challenging you to just open your heart, open your eyes, to hear from the heart of God how much he loves missionaries and how we can see from their point of view as best we can and love them as well. Pastor John. Thank you, Russ. I guess of all the pastoral staff that we have, I have a little bit more exposure to missionaries because at one time I was one in many ways. Of course, God had called us to Fairfield, Connecticut, which was a little bit different than the deserts of Africa, just a little bit. Um, But still, there were people that needed Jesus Christ. And in case you haven't noticed, there's many good-thinking people that look at New England and say, it's a mission field. It is a place that used to be red hot for God and is not anymore. And we need to get churches established and planted. And that still is the call for this day that we live in. We still need tons of help here in New England. But I want to bring this message to you today that I hope is a help to you so that we can start uh, in a way sympathizing or empathizing with some of our missionaries. And this message is entitled Strengthening Their Hands. Think back to Israel, the very first battle they fought as an organized nation. Moses and the people of God had been in the wilderness. There was a group called the, uh, the children of Amalek or the Malachites that were really terrorizing the people of Israel. They had not really established an army to this point. This was not when Israel was really ready to fight. But knowing that the need was there, Moses asked some key leaders to choose out people to go and fight against Amalek. Now, you've got to understand that the people of Israel at this point had not been trained in battle. They had not really even seen battle. They had been working as slaves under the oppressive hand of, of Egypt. So you're asking a bunch of you know, people that were dealing with building brick things to actually go out and fight battles. And we don't even know of how many weapons they had. And we knew that this battle would probably be a struggle. And the Bible says that Aaron and her and Moses went up to a hill and they watched the battle from a distance. And the Bible says that Moses had his hands up and as he had his hands up, 
the forces of Israel would win. As his hands got tired and he put them down, the forces of Amalek would win. And so there was this connection that was made. We've got to keep Moses' arms up. In comes Aaron and her to say, we can help you with that. So they sat Moses down on a rock, and they both positioned themselves to hold or to strengthen the hands and the arms of Moses. And the Bible says that, sure enough, God did allow Israel to prevail and have the victory that day. That's because God did something amazing, not because of Moses, but because of God. And I take that reference from Exodus And I bring this into the missionary mindset of we as a church need to strengthen the hands of those we have partnered with. It's unhealthy when a church comes into the relationship with the missionary as just somebody that takes a paycheck every month. They're not your employees. They are partners. They're in a totally different ministry doing something for your sake, a place you could not go and would not go. They surrender to the call of God to go in your place and to do the work of God. And all they're asking for is a partnership. And this is something that is becoming more and more mainstream in missionary thinking is I don't want a whole bunch of, you know, churches, so to speak, that are just going to cut me a paycheck. I want churches that are going to be partners with me. What we've done with Chris Burkholz is exactly along this idea. We are not just, you know, sending uh, financial help to Chris Burkholz every single month or every single quarter, but we are there. We are talking with him. We are hearing from him. We are going to him. And there is a tremendous partnership with our church and missionary Chris Burkholz in Honduras. But what if we could do that with more missionaries? That's where Russ is going with this statement. We could do more. I mean, we are struggling with even letting you know all the names of our missionaries, and we can do better at that, but we need to really know who we're strengthening so that we can do the job that a church is called to do. There is a major problem in missions. You know what it is? There's a lack of missionaries going, and there's a lack of missionaries staying. Together, that leaves open holes where there once was a gospel reference, and now there is not. You say, what's the big deal? At least some people came to Christ. Well, the big deal is the devil is quick to fill in those holes with deception. And they move in and they siphon off and they eventually, you know, cause problems. And it goes back to the darkness that it was before the missionary arrived. There's a problem there, but how do we help with that problem? And what leads to that problem? Why is it that the average time a missionary is on the field is just seven years when they go intending to stay a lifetime? What happens? Well, take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 because in the Word of God, we have a great opportunity to look in the mind of a missionary as we look at Paul. Now, whether you think Paul was an evangelist or a missionary or a missionary evangelist, whatever, it's okay. He was doing the work of God. He was called out of Antioch. He was ministering to the Gentile nation, and he was doing his best to go to places that many Jews would not to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see him writing to this church of Philippi, a church of Macedonia. We'll make that connection later on in Scripture, but 
This church was an amazing church. I love the church of Philippi because you can't get more grassroots than the church of Philippi. I mean, the church started when Paul showed up at a river and wanted to worship, and there were people praying there, and they all got together and said, hey, how about we do something bigger than pray at the riverside, and, and bam, a church is born, and people in that church are like, you know, Lydia and the Philippian jailer and his family, and I mean, I mean people that we know the conversion story of were, were part of this church. And they had a great connection with Paul. If we look at the church of Philippi, I would say that it is a biblical, biblical example of how a church should partner with a missionary. And that's why we're in Philippians this morning. Because it's not like we're asking you to do something new and try to reinvent the wheel here. We're just asking you to have the care and the compassion that is seen in the church of Philippi that Paul says, hey, I'm telling you, I'm going through some things, and you, of all the churches in Macedonia, you're the one that actually gets it. You're the one that not just sympathizes, but empathizes. You have poverty, and you recognize my poverty, and you give and give and give. That's just financially, but more than that, if Paul looked at all the churches that he was connected with, I bet you the church of Philippi would be the first one that came into his mind with people that were actually praying for him and holding the line for him. You could say the church of Philippi was strengthening his hands. Here's what the Bible says. We're going to pick up in verse number 10. Philippians chapter 4, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, now that at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein? Ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Verse 11, Not that I res- speak in respect of want, for I have learned that whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We'll stop there. We'll continue as we go through the message. What Paul is pretty much demonstrating right here is the fact of missions that is a a well-known fact that, and probably the reason that many people don't surrender to missions, is the missionary must thrive, point number one, amid instability. Paul is basically demonstrating here that He is having times where he is having to learn contentedness. Now, what is the the situation that helps you learn contentment? Well, contentment is being, well, happy or joyful with the things that you have. You're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. You're thankful for what you have. And this is something we have to learn, by the way. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Contentment is something you have to learn. It's, It's learned by trial and affliction. So that's why we can make this reference. Because if Paul is having to learn contentment, there is automatically going to be some things that he had to be content about. And what kind of things do our missionaries go through on a daily basis? Instability, like you and I don't even really deal with. First of all, the deputation process. And by the way, there's a process called deputation, and it's basically taught in many missionary uh, uh, agencies that tell their people, you got to go raise funds for you to be on the field. You can't work in the location that you're in legally, so your paycheck has to come from places that partner with you or deputize you to go to this place on their behalf, and so you'll be doing God's work on their behalf in this foreign country or in this place. So that's why it's called deputation. And the missionary is going to be calling a whole bunch of people, and they say, it used to be out of every 10 churches you call, one would say, okay, come and, you know, we'll let you come in and uh, present your ministry. 
I was in contact with a missionary director a couple days ago and asked him, is that number holding the same? He said, no, in our mission groups now, we teach them it takes about 18 to 19 phone calls to get one. And I believe it, especially with like inflation and things going on and churches having to cut back on things. It's sad that when a church has to cut back on things, number one thing they usually cut back on is hmm, missions. Out of sight, out of mind, right? That should not be the case. We'll talk about that later of why. But the deputation process is not just to get finances, but it's a, it is a proving ground. I really believe it's a proving ground for the missionary. The missionary has to learn to thrive amid instability. And this process of deputation is instability. You're in a different place almost every week, sometimes two or three times a week. You're trying your best to get from point A to point B, and that's a, a, a toil and travel. Uh, the, just the travel is toilsome. If you have small children, it's constantly late nights. Uh, you go to a missions conference, and it's uh, a string of sometimes three, four, five, sometimes a week, where you're going nonstop all the time. You know, trying to help this church and be in this church, and every church is different with how and what they make their missionaries do during these conferences. But, but either way, it is a stretch, and you have to learn that you have to be stretched. And boy, does it stretch you when you're sitting there at a gas station wondering, okay, I just left that church, and that church really uh, didn't see the need to help me with my gas. So here I am and having to figure out how can I put 10 or $15 in so that I can get to the next church and make it work. You say, Is that, does that really happen? Oh, yeah, it happens. There's a lot of times a missionary will stop by at a church and the opposite will happen. Well, they'll be there for just to say hello and not even put up their table in the lobby or do anything like that. And God will have people walk up to that missionary and supply the need for that missionary on, you know, just to, to, to over and abundantly supply. And that also happens. And there is this fluctuation that Paul is talking about. You know, he's going to go on in our scripture. We'll, we'll talk about that in another point where he's learning how to abound and how to abase. And boy, deputation is a lot of abounding and abasing. The creating of an itinerary, the constant travel, the times of extreme financial need. These are all times of testing to make sure that missionary realizes it's not going to be easy here. And I think it's a helpful process. But it's not the end of that testing because, let her be, the first two to five years on the field are extremely unstable. Many missionaries, especially those going to a country that doesn't speak English, are going to have to learn a different language. And not just learn a different language in the way where, you know, you can read off a paper and be able to communicate this different language. We're talking about everything around you is in this different language. I remember one of my first times traveling overseas was to Japan. That is not the best place to go first time overseas. You walk outside the airport and you have no idea what's going on. You can't read anything that's around and you're really reliant majorly on, you know, the basic necessities. I can't even imagine not having a contact there like some of these missionaries. They just know God has called them and so they're going to get in the country and they're going to start learning things. Well, there are some languages that aren't picked up in a few uh, months on Rosetta Stone, folks. There are some that you really have to be in the culture for a while, and there are some missionaries that do have to go through language school for two to three to four years to really get an understanding and a working knowledge of how they can be able to relate and communicate to the culture God's called them to. 
That's not easy because usually language schools are a nine-to-five thing, five days a week, and many of these missionaries are working with another missionary that's on the field that they're going to, and they're having to do you know, ministry act- activity in the, in the, after- in the uh, weekends and go to school, heavy, hardcore school, where they're trying to learn a different language all throughout the week. And that's just the way it goes. Most missionaries have to go through language school. But then... After they go through language school, they have to actually do the unthinkable. Go to another area that's not reached. Most of them have some help, but some of them don't. And start to get a church started when you know, basically barely know the language of the people. You're trying your best to make it through. Is communication important, church? How important is communication? I mean, if you really mess up, you can offend a whole bunch of people that you're trying to win over. Just by some phrase you say that was wrong. You missed an accent mark. You, you missed a syllable. You, you, you missed something that you really forgot because it was taught the second of four years of language school. And you're like, oh, I can't believe I said it that way. And three people never come back because they're like, you know what that pastor said? That's a little bit of instability. Starting a new church, presenting the gospel. Let's talk about the process of starting a church in a foreign country where you have to figure out the laws of, you know, what you can do for renting. And a lot of times a missionary is quickly taken advantage of by the local businessmen because they're looking at an American. And in their mind, some of them think dollar signs and they think we can get as much money as we can out of this missionary. And if that missionary doesn't have somebody that knows the culture helping them, they can really spend a lot of money just trying to get something that shouldn't take that much. There's that instability, but also the instability of trying to win over a people or to connect a people with Christ. It's not easy. It's not easy when you speak the language. We're a representation of that here in our area. Can you imagine not speaking the language as best as you can? And people come and they want to converse with you and you're trying your best to keep up with them and to know what they're saying. And this is the first two to five years. And they're like, this is difficult. Let's not even go with the instability letter C of the medical care or the lack thereof. The electricity or lack thereof. Transportation, boy, there might be a lot of transportation, but anybody ever driven in a foreign country? How'd that work out? Boy, now, some of those tourist areas have been Americanized, but some of the places that aren't tourist areas, oh, wow, it's something else. You ever been to Africa and tried to drive in Africa? Forget it. It is fast-paced. People are everywhere. It's almost like there's no rules, and we just go. And the, 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 the way it works in Africa is you get there first. That's it. That's the rules. It's crazy. But these missionaries are doing it because that's where God's called them to. How about transportation where you and your best converts that one day will be part of your church and you're crammed in, like some of these Polynesian cultures, crammed in to a bus. And it's you and about 40 other people on a bus that seats 20. And here we go. And we hope nobody falls off. Listen, there are transportation issues. Let's not even go with the government systems. I mean, the instability that can happen overnight in a country where you used to have free reign to share the gospel, but now there's a coup, and now people are coming in, and now they don't have the same freedom of religion like the other people had. And overnight, you have to 
pivot and start thinking, what do we need to do now? These are things that missionaries deal with and have dealt with. There's just a need to thrive no matter if there's instability or not. And many of us, we have a hard time thriving when there is stability. Can you imagine living through some of these unstable times and having to have to thrive and actually do what God's called you to do? That's what a missionary is asked to do. Number two, the missionary must embrace something called vulnerability. Who likes to be vulnerable? Nobody. Look what Paul says in verse 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And in context, this is where that wonderful verse comes in. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13. The context of Philippians 4.13 is you going without sometimes. How many of you like to go without sometimes? Not any one of us, right? And we like to have our system in place. We like to have everything the way it's supposed to be. And if it's not the way it's supposed to be, it's, it's pretty much like quickly get it back to the way it's supposed to be. But what if you don't have that ability? And what happens if you have to be just vulnerable and just have to learn to live with what you have and you don't have? And that just has to be the way it works. But now you talk about vulnerability that goes deep because now you're actually trying to bear your soul out to people and you're still working on trusting them and they are still working on trusting you. But you have to be the one that God has called to reach them. So you are going to naturally become vulnerable to reach out to them to help them see the love of Christ. And sometimes that's tough. Because you know God's called you there, and you know the people that God called you to, and you know some of the struggles that they're dealing with. You know some of the uh, problems that are pervasive in that culture, and you still want to reach out to them. And here's, the, here's some of the um, tough things you deal with. You reach out to them, and you have to always be careful, especially in poverty-driven countries, there's a, there's a danger in missions in poverty-driven countries because you might try your best to show them Christ, but all they see is an American. And it's almost like I'm, I'm trying my best not to you know, show you the flashy things of the American dream. I just want you to know that Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. But even though you're saying it, and even though you're trying to express it, you can't get out of their mind that you're an American. And maybe if they can get in good with you and get a good relationship with you, you can help them one day be an American. And how do you actually navigate that scenario? where you could have a convert or somebody that comes in and does their best to, you know, be a helper and help you to even build the church and you become so close to them. And then when it's time for you to approach them and say, hey, I really think you're ready. You're actually ready to take the headship of this church. And I really think God's really used you to become the next person so I can go and plant a church somebody else. They look at you and they say, Oh, no, 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 no. My thinking is you actually help me get to America and sponsor me so I can become an American citizen. You say, 
There's that, yeah, I can think of at least two different friends that are missionaries where that's happened to. It happens. We have the vulnerability in some cultures. Letter A, the initial relationships that are developed are shallow due to the poverty that exists. How about having to minister to a culture that God calls you with that is steeped in deception? Like they have a lot of understanding of Jesus Christ. It's the correct version of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, but they have a works-based salvation mindset, and it's just so pervasive in that culture. And you're trying your best to teach salvation by grace through faith, the biblical way, but everybody around you is saying, oh, no, 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 you have to be a good person to go to heaven. And, oh, it's, it's so hard sometimes. You say, well, we kind of have that with Catholicism in the New England area, yes. But we have nothing compared to things like they have in some European countries where it's just like, like part of the government system. How about the vulnerability missionaries face and learning how to abound into a base? And listen, Paul was a guy who didn't have kids. He didn't have a family with him. So people look at that and say, of course, you can abound into a, a base. You know, if you're a guy by yourself, you can figure out, you know, how to scrounge and eat something that you need to eat. But, but how about these missionaries that have kids? And then they're asking their family and their kids to go through the same abounding and abasing and good times and bad times that they are going through. How about the safety concern? Letter B, missionary families have to balance safety and outreach, especially with their children. And what we find here is the word danger becomes a matter of perspective. I have been on the field with missionaries. I have been in some very difficult places. Probably the, the most um, hostile place I was in was Sudan, and I didn't get to see the outside of the compound. They brought me in. They said, here's you're going to be for three days. And then three days later, I left. I didn't leave the compound because there was a lot of things happening in Sudan at that time with a lot of people against Christianity. But what amazed me is their kids were going down three blocks away, and they were teenagers, 16, 17, 18-year-old. They were going down and selling things, you know, helping some natives sell things to, you know, provide somewhat of an income not for themselves but for some of the people that had lost everything when they converted to Christianity because of the Muslim um, pervasiveness that was in Sudan. And so they were selling things not for themselves but for the people that were in extreme poverty that were in their church. And I thought to myself, here I am, a 27-year-old guy who won't, they won't let out of the compound but a 16, 17-year-old, they can go down three blocks down the street and do this work and they're American-looking, too. And I think to myself, how could you do that? Why would you do that? You know what their response is? Well, they're used to it. People know them. They know them. They know who we are. They know what we're doing. And so they're okay. Now, I don't know if I would do that personally as a father, but danger is a matter of perspective to some of these people. I can think of times where I did go to countries and I was able to be with a missionary that you know you 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 get checked in by their guards <laughs> they don't have a metal detector to go into their home but they might as well because they want to make sure that nobody's coming in that's going to do that missionary family harm and you know they can find guards that will protect them and then they have some guards that 
you know, take advantage of things and they are supposed to be protecting and when they become the actual thief, that happens all the time. I mean, there's just a vulnerability that you have and when you're dealing with your children, you don't want to put them in a vulnerable situation. But you know what? Sometimes it's just the culture God's called you to. How about schooling? Some of I mean, you can't just bring them down to Mid-State Christian Academy, so to speak, and drop them off. I mean, there's no other Christian school anywhere. I did have an opportunity to go to a Christian school that was on the Amazon River. That was cool. A bunch of kids that were missionary kids came in their high school years and were taught by professional teachers and things like that. That was in uh, the Brazil area. But other than that, I don't know of any other way to school your children except you just homeschool them. That's just what you got. And I know some are good for homeschooling, some are not. But you as a missionary, you just got to figure it out. Some of the stra- actually, some of the most straining that I saw was a bunch of missionaries getting together and having to you know, do schooling with three or four families and the problems that happen between their kids, they got to keep from you know, souring the relationship of the parents who are ministering actively every single week together. I mean, there are issues And they have to be, in a lot of times, vulnerable to these. They have to learn how to abound and how to abase, be abased. Have to learn to to suffer need. Point number three, the missionary must learn the balance of dependability. Dependability. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel when I parted from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Verse 18 of Philippians 4, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Verse 20, Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I like how he ends that passage there he points the glory to god which it should be because here's what paul is saying yes i have to learn the balance of dependability and what do you mean the balance of dependability i mean there are things that god has called you to just you know suck up and be okay with you can't be running to the people that you know are providing for your needs every single time there's an actual need you've just got to figure it out sometimes And then there are times where you do feel like God is leading you to reach out to people that, you know, uh, reach out to people that are helping you with providing for things and let them know of some of the needs and let them know. But listen, a lot of times the missionaries are not bringing to you their family needs because they are really wanting you to provide for their church family needs. Go ahead and read some of the missionary letters. I mean, it's all these things about the ministry God's called them to do and all these things about people that God has helped them reach and is helping them disciple. And maybe there's a short blurb about their family. And it's like, okay, family's doing well. Everybody got another year older. And, you know, so-and-so might be going off to college. That might be something that make the prayer letter. But for the most part, you're like, what happened to his kids? Did he lose his kids? What's happening? You don't hear about them very much in missionary letters, unfortunately. 
because they're so busy on presenting the need in their mind is the need of the ministry, not the need of themselves. That's most of the case. There's a balance they have to walk. Obviously, we have A, some missionaries cannot legally work and must heavily depend on their partnerships with churches for their income. Some missionaries find a very difficult time balancing their job if they have to work a job or can work a job with ministry. So even those who can work a job, it's difficult to, to get a church going and to be there and to be the pastor of a group of people and to really be there in a way that they don't feel like you're neglecting them when you have to always run out and do another job and be on the clock for somebody. It's difficult even in that case. But for some of these missionaries, they can't work. Even if they wanted to work, it'd be illegal. And they could get arrested. Or they could get fined for working illegally in a country where you're not supposed to. So what we have is a dependability that is necessary for many missionaries but I want to bring this in, letter B. All missionaries, all missionaries are very dependent on God's people. That's how God wanted it. Financially, yeah, many of them for sure, dependent financially. But more than that, the, the, the finances that ha- ha- uh, come in are of a good help. But folks, please understand that there are spiritual, emotional needs that are so intense in ministry, that there is nothing that replaces prayer. So let's go to the fourth point, and this is the whole heart of this message. Everything else was pretty much introduction. Here we go. The response of a mission-minded church to this. What do we do? Well, first of all, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That's what you do, because we're going to a different passage of Scripture, because there's a passage of Scripture that I believe is more about the church of Philippi than about any other church of Macedonia, based on what we see in Philippians chapter 4. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll read the first five verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and connect the church of Philippi to these churches of Macedonia that Paul talks about in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Here's what the Bible says. Moreover, brethren, we do you wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, howing a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Verse 3, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped. Here's a great way you ought to give to missions. But first gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. We'll stop there in verse 5. What Paul is describing in to the church of Corinth, the second letter, is these churches of, Corinth, of, of Macedonia that were participating in an offering that was being taken up for the church of Jerusalem and the hardship of the church of Jerusalem. But it seemed like, according to Paul's record, the churches of Macedonia, and I think specifically the church of Philippi, if you put the two together, there was a deep poverty that was in the church of Philippi, but they gave themselves to the Lord so much that their poverty paled in comparison for the need of the servant of God. And they put his needs above their own needs. 
that's a great indication of a church that's mission-minded. And in so much that their prayer request was always mentioning Paul, I believe. Russ talked about this, the need to talk about with our pastors, what we need to do with our pastoral staff to get these names into your, get into your life, to be able to pray for them, to pray specifically for them. Because what these missionaries needs is letter A, pray for your missionaries by name and for their spiritual, emotional, physical, and financial needs. And not just, you know, just general, in general terms, but specifically. I mean, do you know what some of our missionaries are dealing with? Some of us would say, no, I don't. Some of us don't even know who our missionaries are. I think probably the one who knows the most is Pastor and Sam Giovanni, who actually cuts the check. That's who knows for sure. Maybe there are some also. But here is our response. We should be strengthening their hands with prayer. Does prayer work, church? The answer is yes, it does. Can God move in a place you've never been with the specific way that needs to be moved just because you lift up their name in intercessory prayer? Yes, it does work. So we're going to encourage you to be a mission-minded church by praying specifically for these needs. Then, secondly, B, give to missions and the special projects that are presented. We do, there is a financial component here. There is that concept that they could do more if they had more money to do more with. So there is definitely that component. A mission-minded church is a church that does not strainingly give. They give abundantly. They give freely. It's not even something that they're concerned about. Yes, we know they need help. We know they need finances. That's a given. What else do they need? That's a mission-minded church. Okay, what else do they need? I know they need this, but what else do they need? And then lastly, but third, a mission-minded church is a church that will be things like going on a mission trip, Get on the field. Get to a place where you can see what's actually happening. And those who have been to Honduras have been able to really understand a little bit more about what missions is like. And they've been able to experience the instability of electricity. And they've been able to experience the instability with transportation. And they have started to see the vulnerability that's in the life of the missionary. And they have seen firsthand the balance of dependability that the missionary has to have. Are we trusting just on God for this, to let God meet my need? Or are we reaching out to churches to ask them to maybe help with this? There's always that that give and take and that thought process. They've seen that. And this is something that can tremendously broaden your understanding of missions is being on the field, seeing these things with your own life and ministering and connecting with people that God has in that ministry. And then you can't wait to go back. And Honduras is a great start. But I'd love to see it not just be the only place we go. There are other missionaries that we support 
that we can start going and seeing and being a blessing and a help and seeing what God has done. Yes, you might not be able to be called by God to go to a foreign field. Maybe some of you are, though, and there might be some in here that God is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to thrive among instability. I want you to be open to vulnerability, and I want you to balance dependability. I want you to be a missionary. Maybe God's saying that to you, and that's great. Come talk to me or the pastor, and we'd love to you know, take you down that road of what that looks like. But maybe you're like, no, God's not calling me to that. What can I do? Here's what you can do. Pray, 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 pray. Support. But go and see it for yourself. We have a missions trip going on this summer to Honduras again. We're going to start telling you more about that. It's going to be a financial commitment of close to $1,000 at least, especially with inflation. Start saving now if you're really believing that God wants you to do that. Start saving now so that you can actually be able to be a part of the Honduras trip. But who knows what we can do in the future. Here's what we need to do, though. We need to figure out a way, a major way, that we can partner tremendously with our missionaries. They're doing what God's called them to do, and God is doing some great things through them. And because of that, and I close with this, we are getting fruit to our account. Remember, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 that I don't desire a gift. It's not for my sake that I desire a gift. I desire a gift because that gift helps fruit be to your account. God knows exactly where every dollar and cent goes, and God has never missed the ability to accurately give credit to where credit's due, so to speak, and God will reward you for the prayer and the giving and the going that you do for the cause of his kingdom. God will do it accurately. So this is fruit to our account. When we do what God wants us to do in the, in the area of missions and reaching people with the gospel, this is something that God recognizes and puts it to our account. Don't do it selfishly, though. Do it because missions is about the gospel, and the gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without that, we would be lost. And what a great thing to have people go and share the gospel so that other people can come to Christ. Father, we're thankful for your love and thankful for the missionaries that you have sent so that we could actually support them and they could be on the field on our behalf doing what God, what you have called them to do. Lord, thank you for them. We pray for them today. Help our church to be able to pray for them more by name. Help our church to figure out a better way to partner with all of our missionaries. May it not just be a support check that is cut, but may it be a connection with each missionary, a partnership that we can invest in as a people. As these servants are doing the work that you've called us to do in the country that you have sent them. Help us, I pray. Help us. Give us the wisdom. Give us the willingness. And above all, Lord, help us to be like this church of Macedonia. Help us to give ourselves to you first. Let you take control so that we can have the right response to missions. Help us to be surrendered. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Russ. Amen.